I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is Slice by Slice, a podcast where we dissect and discuss horror films by categories and subgenres, such as evil twins, steam suckers, franchises, and directors' bodies of work. And of course, we can't dissect and discuss these films in the detail we do without spoilers. Yeah, I don't know what we were thinking, but we're going to have Josh do the sequel that's a sequel to a movie about a book that's a movie about a book that's a sequel to a book. Um, But we'll get there. Because <laughs> fucking Flanagan did it. <laughs> that's the only... And it's Stephen King. <laughs> what Josh said in so many words, Dr. Sleep is actually a Stephen King novel, yep. but is a sequel to Stephen King's The Shining. Uh-huh. That has to use a few of the elements from the Shining movie, yep. which is the most hated thing in existence by Stephen King <laughs> for being so different from his book. Yeah, and this was this was fun to dig into because I had to do research on both to get some shit to align without going crazy about the first book and the first movie because we're going to get to that at some point, and that'll obviously need to be Jesse since I'm doing the second one. So everybody now knows the real reason this took so long is I read two books. <clears throat> Bullshit. Did you read The Shining Fuck. and Dr. Sleep? No, I didn't read either one of them. <laughs> uh, I assume you utilized your wife for said knowledge. Nope. I utilized uh, the internet. <laughs> oh, I figured she had read them. She's oh, she, Stephen King. She has. She's yeah. a big reader. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, talked, we talked a little bit about some of the stuff in it. So playing again, writing and directing, which is great as just like with Juan, we've talked about before and did a whole episode on him. Um, the only guy um, who could do fucking Gerald's game as a movie, and he did it. Yeah, and uh, that's going to come and, come back into this <laughs> specifically yeah. Gerald's game. And he's been a little bit more active in this downtime than Juan because at this point, I think Haunting a Hill House had came out when we did Flanagan's episode. Yes, but he's done Bly Manor and um, Midnight Mass. Yep. Since we've covered him as well as a movie, whereas one has a couple of movies in production and did a movie. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot of people in this movie. I'm just going to hit on a few for some for importance and some for the lulls. We've got Ewan McGregor as Danny Torrance. And for me, I always go back to train spotting. I'm sure Jesse goes back to train spotting in Star Wars. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fantastic actor, though. Yes. Rebecca Ferguson as Rose the Hat. Uh, she was in the new Dune, Men in Black International, like. Almost all the Mission Impossible movies. Um, don't think she's yeah. done anything horror other than this. Uh, Kylie Curran as Aberstone. She hasn't done much, and some of her acting in this movie is phenomenal. Um, some of it's just okay, but she's not bad uh, in any way. That's not what I'm saying. Like I, I, I see great things coming out of her um, yeah. down the road. I don't know what she's got in the works or anything like that because I'm bad at my job. Um, anyways. You know, a lot of these movies have kids they'd have to play like the grown up kid and it's like really creepy. Yeah. Like six cents and stuff. Right. Yeah. She plays cutesy kid and then it's tough when she has to be. And then it's, Oh shit. I'm not actually as tough as I thought I was because this person's more badass than me. Yeah. yeah. She's, she's grounded as fuck. Right. And I think that's what, what makes her more believable than a lot of these, these powerful kids and these adult horror films is, is the fact that like, like you said, grounded was the best word. Speaking of really good child actors, Jacob Tremblay as Bradley Trevor or the baseball boy who of course I've gushed over since before I wake, which is another Flanagan movie. Y'all he's awesome. Not in the movie very much, but very, very powerful scene. And we'll get into lots of detail about that scene when we get to it. That scene actually bothered me. I bet in the movie theater. And I did not realize that was him until you just said that. <laughs> Alex Esso as Wendy Torrance. I just got to bring her up because mm. more Flanagan pool. She's a midnight mass by Manor. Henry Thomas 
as Lloyd the bartender slash Jack Torrance. I didn't realize that till I was getting my final notes together. Oh, really? Yes. Didn't realize that that was Henry Thomas or didn't realize he was supposed to also be Jack as the bartender. I didn't realize that was Henry Thomas. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, who's this guy? Am I okay with this? Because I go back and forth between the reshot stuff instead of doing stock footage from the original yeah. film. But anyways, we'll get into that later. And, and I just want to say how well Alex Esso redoes the shining scenes. Yeah. Like, it's mind-blowing. You feel like they de-age shit and stuff at times. (laughs) It's good. There's some more people in here, but that's the main ones I want to hang on. As far as makeup effects go, I have to bring up fucking Robert Kurtzman. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah. He he did our makeup effects, and that's why I'm talking about a callback to Gerald's game, because he did makeup effects on Gerald's game as well. So Jesse's probably Mm. already connecting the dots. Flanagan has taste. In rare form, I have the director's cut of this film. I have a habit of going with the mm. director's cuts of films when we cover them. A mm-hmm. theatrical cut is two and a half hours long. The director's cut is three hours long. I saw theatrical in the theater opening weekend, and I watched the director's cut for the podcast. That's the one I uh, have. So I'm in the same boat as you. I will be covering the theatrical version because the other version was too oh. fucking long. But I do have a couple of the key things, not all the changes, but okay. a couple of the key things from the director's cut that are left out of this. Uh, most notably, I can say now the director's cut introduces the movie as a series of chapters instead of just going on. But there's a couple of extended scenes and two particular dumped scenes that make the theatrical version make a little bit more sense. So those we'll get into. I would say there's a couple extended scenes in the director's cut that makes the movie make more sense too. Like I feel like it's a good little mixture of there. Okay. Got to go into the books um, just a little bit to, to explain how we got here. So as far as the original book, I was watching an interview and King said that he used to travel between Florida and Maine all the friggin' time. And he would see these groups of RVs at the rest stops, which if you travel mm. a lot, you see this. And he, he yeah. spun up this idea that there were this group of traveling Satanists that were casting spells is where his brain first started. And then it evolved into vampires that fed on spiritually gifted children. So we're doing the psychic vampire thing and... From what I read in the book, they actually use camouflage. And so they can camouflage themselves as your stereotypical old couple, not the gypsies as they're presented in the film. This is on the up and coming audible list. So I'll let you know when I get there. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's creepier, but probably creepier for a book. It doesn't have the same impact on film. So I'm okay with that. It's a lot different when you can explain things in detail and prose than when you have to show it. Yes. Right. And they're creepy enough anyways. Yes. So uh, Warner Brothers were the ones that went right after this as a film as soon as the book came out. And they had Akiva Goldsmith write a script. He wrote The Client, Batman Forever, I Am Legend. So Mm. no slouch. Other than Batman Forever. (laughs) (laughs) But they couldn't come up with the money. And it just kind of set. Then once it was released, and that that's the, the newer it, the money came flying <laughs> in because it was like, uh-oh, this shit's hot right now. Let's get this shit done. And that's when Flanagan was brought in. And luckily, Flanagan was able to rewrite and direct. So it is his script. Interesting. So a little bit more about the books versus the movies because there's a very interesting way Flanagan decided to pull this off. Going with the core from King, the The Shining was a book about the drunk. And that was about King mm-hmm. as a drunk. That was really the core of that film. Dr. Sleep was more about the recovered addict and telling the story of 
recovery and you can strip him down to that. Like I can totally see that, 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 that was part of what he was trying to, to say and convey in that, especially when you get to the bar scene towards the end of sleep, presuming that some of that was pulled from the book. I don't know. I actually feel really ignorant for not noticing that knowing about King's battles with alcoholism and cocaine and then him being clean now. And, and if you think about when shining was written in Dr. Sleep, I actually feel like a fucking idiot for not <laughs> noticing that. That it was more about his internal yeah. battles and struggles. Go from take your medicine to here's your eight-year chip or however many years it was. A couple of things to keep in mind. In the movie The Shining, in Kubrick's Shining, it ends in snow. The book actually ended in fire. And I'll go into more detail on that when we get to it, but I won't go crazy because, like I said, we're going to cover that movie at some point. Flanagan was ballsy enough to try to make a sequel to both. What a fucking madman. And it's crazy because he did it, and we'll get to more details mm-hmm. on this later, but not only did he do a sequel to both, but he took omissions and reversals and reversed them and brought back what was omitted, but still didn't do it as a cut and paste. It's really fucking okay. smart. Um, <laughs> like smart enough. To, Flanagan. Film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So smart enough that I wish like I had read them. One thing that people may call out is that the, the okay, so Dr. Sleep ends at a campground where the where the okay. overlook once stood because the overlook is completely destroyed at the end of the shining in the book so even going back to the overlook was 100% flanagan like i'm not cuz you cuz okay. there's so many people that have just seen the movie and not read the book how can you not have you, you mm-hmm. know the fucking the overlook hotel is a character it's the main character of the fucking movie some would say yeah and that's just smart that's smart on his part the furnace is the heart yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean it, it was a person yeah, yeah. So we open in Florida, it's 1980, and we see this young girl named Violet, and she's meeting Rose the Hat at a campground, and it's like this quick. She just walks up on her, and she's this chick sitting there, and uh, Rose explains her hat and her name, and then has Violet pull a flower out of her hat. She's like, this hat's a part of me, it's become part of my name, da-da-da-da-da, and she's doing the magician thing. She's like, hey, look at this. Mm -hmm. So the hat that they used in the movie was an actual 100-year-old hat. They didn't make it. They actually found it. They had to be very careful with it. Um, I think that's really cool, especially later on in the movie when you see how attached Rose is to the hat and like when the lady in the supermarket almost touches it and shit. Like That's cool on two levels. Mm -hmm. But Rose tells Violet that she thinks she's magical. And she tells her to guess the color of the next flower she's going to pull out. And uh, all the while we're getting these cuts off into the trees and we're seeing the members of Rose's, let's call them family, surrounding them. And there's just more in each shot. And it's creepy as fuck, but it's Flanagan creepy. Mm-hmm. It's not like in yeah. the shadows. It's just these stark shots of all of a sudden there's more people standing there. He's the only motherfucker that can hard cut to something that shouldn't be there and it fit. Yeah, and not put a stinger there or any shit like that. Just let the film fucking speak for itself. So uh, Violet guesses purple. You don't eat flowers. But you do. But these mm. are special. Honey. Special ones that taste best. Oh, foreshadowing. <laughs> I guess she has tests to make sure the kids actually have the shining. Because yeah. they can't eat normal kid souls is what I got from the movie. I don't know about the book. It has to be a kid with the shining. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. To get they the make the best steam. So the family then approaches and we see Rose's eyes light up like the vampire light up thing. And Violet Mm-mm. just gets dogpiled. Wham. If Josh has family, he means evil fucking gypsy. I'm just yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we cut straight to the Overlook Hotel and our title card. Mm. Huh? Okay. 
Josh is watching this from the point of view as he's only seen the movie because obviously I don't read books. Josh can barely read his notes. It's a fact. <laughs> and I wrote them. Fuck. Well, you're really good at deciphering pictures. I'm a visual. I'm a visual thinker. I'm a visual learner. I remember <laughs> shit in pictures. So that's my only, that's my only good thing. It's terrible. So we're then treated to some reenacted shining fan service. And I go back mm. and forth on, could we just have stock footage? Was there a reason we couldn't have stock footage? And seeing Flanagan talk about them doing all this, it was like, never a thought in his mind. He was like, I am going to fucking shoot this. We are going to build this hotel, da, 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 da. So they did. And just to add on that, he, um, he just thought it had been too hard to match it properly to his new current set and have to do a bunch of it, uh, digitally. And he also didn't want to feel like he was shitting on the original. Oh, yeah. So he wanted to do his own version of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Danny's cruising on his big wheel, like we're used to. <laughs> and he stops in front of room 237. And he gets a glimpse of Lorraine Massey. We remember her, right? <laughs> I didn't know there was her name, actually, but I, I have an interesting story here. David and I did our normal go get dinner, drink beer, go watch a new movie at theater, right? Okay. So we walk in the movie theater and we sit down and, you know, this is the era of you can, you can get beers at the movie and we sit down to drink a beer and we're watching the movie and he's riding the big wheel and I'm shit-eating grin, reliving The Shining. And he stops in front of a door I assume it's going to be room 237. The camera pans up to the room number that says 237 and the fucking power shuts off in the movie theater. As soon as the door starts to creak open, <laughs> it is all for 30 minutes, 30 minutes. The power's out and we are sitting in a pitch black room with a bunch of people. Some are freaking out and leaving at this point going, Oh, hell no. Oh, hell no. And they're just getting, I'm leaving. I'm just drinking my beer and, and we're just talking. And I'm like, what a moment for the power to randomly go out. And they come in offering refunds, but they say, we're going to start the movie over at the beginning. And I'm like, can we just start back here? But <laughs> And they started over at the beginning. But I mean, it's literally, you see the room number, you get goosebumps, the door starts to swing open, darkness. And I'd shit my pants. <laughs> Could not have been a more perfect situation to freak you the fuck out. And I enjoyed every moment of it. That's how I knew I was in for the ride there. <laughs> That's crazy, dude. But Danny then wakes up from what was only a nightmare. Only to find she's there in the bathroom of his new house, far away yeah. from the Overlook Hotel. And uh, he's terrified to the point that he stands there and pisses himself when he sees her in the bathroom. Literally. But mom snaps him out of it, cleans him up. And she also comments on how he hasn't spoken since they left the hotel. Did not catch that. We're quickly set up that after the events of the first film, I'm going to say film for the rest of this, um, that. Danny's been affected and that the spirits are still following him. And uh, he's probably going to have a pretty fucking hard life. We then see Danny talking to Dick Halloran, but Dick's dead in the first movie. Mm -hmm. But he also didn't die in the book, The Shining. His character makes oh. it. This is one of many reworks that Flanagan pulled off to make everything actually gel. And it's going to get explained here in a second. So uh, Danny tells Dick that he's scared of the woman that's coming to get him. And Dick explains that the Overlook is boarded up and the ghosts are reaching out for food. He also explains mm. that Danny can trap the ghosts with these boxes, that he can use them in his mind with his mind powers. Now, what he does is he actually hands him a little box and is like, I want you to look at it. I want you to make build one in your mind. You have to memorize this and you can actually use this to trap the ghosts. It's quickly explained. Um, 
We abruptly cut to a frazzled Wendy running up. She's been looking for Danny. Where the fuck is he? And she finds him and she's relieved because he's just sitting there talking to no one. Dick was a ghost. And that explains how we got him still around because we get the quick shot of one way where he's sitting there and then a shot the other way where Danny's talking to nobody. Neat little bow on mm-hmm. it. So cool. Flanagan's already nailed one. He's probably already nailed like seven because I ain't read the shit. But uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, later that night, Danny goes back into the bathroom, but this time with purpose, not getting up and pissing himself, but to go knock this shit out. And he's going to have his confrontation with Lorraine Massey. And he traps her in the box and puts the box in the hedge maze. And he heads to the living room, and now he can talk. We've already had explained that he hasn't spoken since they left the hotel. He's embracing his powers. He's becoming himself. Cool deal. Maybe he won't have such a hard life. (laughs) (laughs) So we then flash forward to a hungover Dan trying to remember the night before. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Got hammered, got in a fight, and bedded some dirty chick who drank way more than him based on the puddle of vomit that she's lying in, in the bed next to him. That's a hell of a night. So he gets up to leave, and he realizes that his wallet's empty. And the cash has presumably been blown on the booze, bud, and blow that's on the table next to it. So he presumably rips her off, and he bounces. Where the fuck did that toddler come from? And there is, there's this little baby comes walking in like, what the fuck? Oh my God. She's not just some floozy. She's got a damn kid. So Dan pauses. He puts the baby in bed with mama and then he bounces, presumably with the cash. At least leaves the baby some goldfish. Cause I can tell you at least three times of my kids, they all eat goldfish. <laughs> they love them. Hopefully the baby doesn't eat the vomit chunks out of the bed. Cause it's chilling right there. It's really nasty. The differences between the two cuts is Doc cuts in and tells him to not be an asshole in the theatrical one. And in the uh, director's cut, he just fucking leaves. He doesn't yeah, care. He's, he's more of a shit stone. So we then jumped to New York to meet Snakebite Andy. I guess she's just Andy right now, but I'm already calling her Snakebite Andy. I love their nicknames. It really does add to it. I hope that's from the book as well. <laughs> I honestly don't know. There, I know that those, this whole scene doesn't happen this way in the book, but I didn't, I didn't note the difference. <laughs> So uh, Andy's this younger girl on a presumably tender date with an older man, or so it seems. And uh, we then see that Crow, Crow Daddy, which is Rose's right-hand man, has brought Rose to the theater to see Andy and see what she's capable of. So they're sitting in the back of the theater Mm -hmm. watching Andy with her date up closer to the screen. So what Andy can do is she has the power of suggestion. And with one quick suggestion, the man passes out and Andy takes his wallet and she carves a snake bite into his face and basically calls him a petter ass. So uh, Rose is very pleased with what she's seen. And uh, she and Crow snag Andy as she's leaving the theater. And it's funny because Andy's mm-hmm. like, you want to let me leave? You don't, you want to let me walk by? Blah, blah, blah. I was like, no, no, it's not going to work on us. <laughs> yeah. Those mind tricks only work on the weak minded. Um, I want to say Rose refers to her by like a title of her power. Like, oh, she's a. She's a pusher pusher yeah because she does that a couple of times in the movie and i really like that that's not explained at all but if you've seen the shining and you watch this movie show don't tell explains to you enough that there's different levels of the shining that can do different things like different mutant powers in the x-men or something (laughs) and i I don't know like fucking i love Juan and flanagan and they have to go different ways with their movies and they make different style movies that are both great but I don't know. Flanagan cannot have to explain anything. The best use of that is his first film. God, with the bug and the sewer. Absentia. 
Yeah, yeah, like he doesn't explain shit of the mythology of that. I fucking understood it the whole time. And somehow he explains to me the entire mythos of the shining vampiric power and the different styles of it without explaining <laughs> it. That's what he does. And we're like five minutes in the fucking movie now, and I understand how their powers work. <laughs> so we then get a quick cut of a full-blown wino Dan sleeping in the street. Then we're introduced to a very young Abra at her birthday party. And uh, they've got a little magic show going at her birthday party. And the magician does this bit with some spoons. And Abra's like, I can do that too. And <laughs> it cuts to a little bit later of dad taking the cake inside. And he finds mom in the kitchen just staring at all the silverware on the floor. And on the ceiling. Abracadabra. So we abruptly get a quick bump of Dan waking up on a bus. And this is very jarring in the theatrical cut. In uh, the director's cut, we actually get Dan going to the ticket counter and just pushing over cash and going as far as it'll take me. So, yep, uh, it's a real quick scene. It should have just been in the theatrical version because even when I was doing my notes, I'm like, does it really just cut to that? Like we never explained just Dan's on a bus. Dan's asleep on the street. Four minutes later, Dan's on the bus. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Because it's actually a very powerful scene because Ewan McGregor looks train spotting fucked it up does. when he walks up to the counter. And the guy's like, where do you want a ticket to? And he just slides whatever the fuck he can dig out of his pocket. And it's what he stole from the woman. Yep. And he's like, wherever this will take me. And you're like, that is a low, right? <laughs> that I never want to see. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know why you would cut something like that. Obviously, there's 30 minutes of differences in yeah. here. But keep the powerful scenes that just don't exist. <laughs> I know. So this is like a bam, bam, bam thing. So we get abracadabra, Dan wakes on, Dan wakes up on the bus, and then we see a shock get sent through Rose the hat. And we hold on Rose for a little bit as she officially names Andy Snakebite Andy. And she brings her into the fold by offering her springtime forever. Ten years from now, you're still 15. A hundred, maybe 17. Eat well. Stay young. Live long. Well, Jesse wants to air quote the forever because we're relevant a little bit. <laughs> yeah, <it is. laughs> Did I say you would be immortal? <laughs> <laughs> so then we jump back to Dan and his bus has reached the end of the line. And he is now in Frazier, New Hampshire. And he meets Billy at Teeny Town. And Teeny Town is a little model of the city, at least the whole town square and like a street. And they got a little train and shit. Billy's an important character because Billy is an amalgamation of like three people from the book. Ah, that's usually what you have to do when you make a movie adaptation of a Stephen King yep. film. There is Abra's grandmother gets brought up in, in the movie. She plays a much bigger role in the book. Um, Billy okay. represents some of her, some of some other people. It's kind of a mix, but it was going to be a seven hour long movie. So we get Billy. And uh, Billy knows the look of a man running from himself, as it said. And uh, he sets Dan up with a job at Teeny Town and a lady to rent a room from where he lives. And she points out that the last tenant that had this room had painted one wall to turn it into a blackboard. Mm -hmm. So uh, we jump then back over to Andy and the quote unquote springtime ritual. We are the true knot and we endure. Sabata Hanzi. We are the chosen ones. We are the fortunate ones. What is tied cannot be untied. 
Rose gives Andy a hit of violet. Cause see, they got this little canister and like the steam comes out of it. I don't know what else to call it. Cause we don't know that yet. But anyways, the shit comes out of it and they're like breathing it and shit. And when Andy does, she goes through the change and she basically dies is what it reminds me of. It reminds me of somebody being willfully turned by a vampire and their mortal mortal form has to die. And now she's one of them. Quote unquote. It's a vampire's embrace where you have to consume the blood of the vampire after they've emptied. Hey, hey, we don't believe in labels on this show. (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) and, and you wake up turned. I, I really like that because, um, I will very regularly make fun of psychic vampires because I just don't dig it. I can't get into it, except for what we do in the shadows. It's always accepted on the American version of the TV show. It's nuts. But uh, I don't know. Stephen King or Flanagan or a mixture of the two of them figured out how to make psychic vampires cool and feel like vampires to me in this flick. Yes. And the fact that they're gypsies in the movie is just fucking perfect. Like if anyone, if you saw anybody and you're like, it's them. Which old vampire legends come from gypsies. I mean, it all works. So we go back to Dan waking up next to dead bar chick and she's got flies on her face and like dead eyes and shit. And she tells them they haven't found us yet. And we get the creepy dead baby revealed laying next to her. So I immediately had to watch train spotting. And since I watched Mm. train spotting, I went ahead and watched train spotting Two, which is kind of okay, but not as bad as I thought it was going to be. I hadn't seen it, actually. It's fun to revisit the characters. It's The story is pretty good. Okay. Um, but it doesn't have the same... It's yeah. original cast and crew, though, basically, pretty right? Pretty much. They almost got everybody okay. back. I just remember me and Josh, underage drinking, probably smoked a bit of pot. Probably. And watching Train Spotting the first time. And the baby crawled on the ceiling. And I looked at you and basically said something along the lines of, I was never going to touch drugs again. <laughs> so train spotting made me stop at pot as a late teenager because I didn't want to see that shit ever. See, cinema changes people. <laughs> so anyway, we then see Billy take Dan to his first AA meeting. And there he meets Dr. John who is What's-His-Nuts from Gerald's Game. <laughs> I really should have wrote these names down. <laughs> He's the Viagra husband asshole. He played that character in Gerald's Game. And uh, it's just a brief introduction, but as John, Dr. John goes to leave, Dan tells him, oh, you lost your watch. You'll find it hanging, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. And uh, At least it wasn't inside a patient. <laughs> we then jump to them talking in Doc's office. And if you'll pay attention, the doctor's office, sorry, that's confusing, when I, cause Danny's also doc, we then jump to them talking in Dr. John's office and it's set up just like the office in the shining when Jack Torrance is being basically interviewed to be the caretaker when they go mm-hmm. to visit like the little American flags in the right spot. Like it's really, really cool. And, uh, but are the doors and the windows in the wrong place? Uh, I don't know. I was like trying to find the moon. That is the mind fuck of the, the moon landing hoax. Tell over here, the plight of the native American, Easter egg over here. Like that's a fucked up documentary. Anyways, um, (laughs) this shit just got deep on the slice by slice podcast. (laughs) So he gives Dan a job as an orderly. Now, what we don't know in the movie versus the book is that Dr. John is also Abra's doctor. There's a lot more that goes into him being the family doctor and then into Abra's grandmother, da, 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 da. But none of that's in here. Meanwhile, Andy wakes up to her new life. (laughs) So that that's there's a lot of back and forth through that whole schmeal there, but that's where we've left our all the characters we've met at. So we then meet Azzy the cat. 
who has a knack for knowing when someone is about to die here. It's, it's, it's hospice. It's, that's where he's an orderly at. It's, it's people at the end of their lives. And um, so the cat's lying at the foot of an old man's bed. Dan sits down to comfort him and ends up talking to him with his shine. And uh, he says, it's just like going to sleep. And this is where he earns the moniker Dr. Sleep from the dying patient. And uh, as the man dies, we see this wisp of steam leave his mouth. And this ties back to, this is not from the book, I don't know if it is, but just from my own knowledge. Um, Not trying to sound hoity-toity there. Um, You know the movie 21 Grams? And the the whole Mm -hmm. thing that there's the study that when you die, your body instantly weighs 21 grams less and that the that's the soul. I don't know if that's kookery or actual right. science, but anyways. Um, so I immediately go to that, like, okay, cool. So we see the steam leaving his mouth. That's the soul. Anybody who can't catch on mm-hmm. yet, they're soul-sucking fucking vampires. On a side note, I would not be surprised if any of our fans work at a morgue or as a mortician <laughs> <laughs> or in CSI. And if, if any of you do and you can report some factual science on the body weighing less after they die... Please send it my way. So back home, remember we got the uh, back home with Dan. Remember, he's got a blackboard wall. It says hello on it. Lots of homes in this film. (laughs) Some of them are even mobile homes. (laughs) So Dan walks over to the wall and he replies back by writing hi. And then we see young Abra giggling. Oh, I wonder if she said hello, abracadabra and shit. So we fast forward eight years later, Dan's all cleaned up. He's even clean shaven now because he has been rocking this, this grimy beard. You mean his Obi-Wan Kenobi beard? I'm rocking it right now. We don't insult it. No, no, no. It's okay. like, this, is, this is a little more disheveled than that. So beardless Dan <laughs> gives a speech at AA and he's talking about how his father's drinking and rage was all he ever knew of him. And that at some point his dad had tried to get better and he made it five months in AA and he dedicates his eight year chip and his eight year of sobriety to Jack Torrance. Mm -hmm. We then see that Dan and Azzy are still working there, seeing off the dying. And we see back home that Abra still sends messages, even though it's been a while because she's now grown up some. She was Mm -hmm. this little girl at the party. Now she's 13, if I remember correctly. So time has moved on, but we're still keeping up with our characters. They're still pin pals. These kind of jumps make me feel like there's probably a lot skipped over in the book, you know, cutting the fat, where there's probably interesting things with some of the side characters we lost and shit. That's pure speculation on my part. Yeah. So the true knot are still together as well. And I just got to point out, like, the, he gives the speech and everything, but, like, the true not, like, just hearing it said when I was first typing stuff to get ready for my behind the scenes, I spelt it right. Because I'm like, oh, this is the the true not, the bind, you know, the, you know, th- think Celtic, yeah. da 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 like A tree knot or not in a rope yes. tie, right? So that's, I just think that's a really interesting name for a group, and I didn't dig mm-hmm. to see if that was pulled from somewhere else. That's just, that's badass. So this visit to the true not, we see that, uh, Grandpa Flick isn't looking so good. And remember, he's made of moonlight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Crow tells Rose that they're close to finding, quote unquote, him. We learn that there's less steam in the world and what's out there is weak. And Rose agrees to let the group feed, but it seems their time is running out. And this is when we see she's actually mm-hmm. got more of these canisters like we saw in the ceremony with Snakebite Andy. Um, we're going to really know how those canisters came to be here in a little bit. 
But uh, it seems like they're dying off. Like there were fewer in, fewer in numbers, da 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 da, and there ain't food. Like we're fucking starving. Is basically what's happening. I feel like somewhere in the movie it's mentioned the the goddamn psychiatrist and the meds. Yes. It's mentioned about Abra. Okay, okay. And that's like neutering their powers, yep. right? So we then cut to a young boy who will learn as Bradley up to bat at a baseball game. And we see this guy in the crowd that says he never misses. It's like he can read the pitcher's mind. And then we see that Crow <laughs> is sitting right behind that guy. And uh, of course, he knocks it out of the park. And after the game, the True Knot use Andy's power suggestion to kidnap Bradley. And they take him to this abandoned factory. And what ensues is terrifying and amazing. Are you going to hurt me? Yeah. You said that like a true sociopath there. It is both terrifying (laughs) and amazing. So this is fucked up. So they stake him to the ground and they torture him. Like literally small cuts torturing him to get as much steam as possible. Because with every cut, he gasps a bit. They take a bit. And we get a mm-hmm. quick cut that Abra can see this whole thing going down. And Rose looks around because it's the middle of the night in this abandoned fucking park. And Rose knows that they're being seen by something. They just keep going. It's a long fucking scene. It's not, I mean, it's not excessively mm-hmm. long, but it's 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 long. And they eventually complete the murder. And Abra goes into a full-on fit. You know, the parents are trying to comfort her. Dan's blackboard fucking just shatters everywhere. And it Mm -hmm. knocks him out of bed, and he looks at his bedside mirror at a reverse shot of the blackboard, and it says Red Rum. Mm -hmm. A few things about this. One, Red Rum, murder, shining. So, obviously, Abra, (laughs) it happened. Abra saw it. Abra was able to tell Dan. Number one, this kid's such a good actor, because the first take they did of this was so good, the actors broke down crying and had to leave the set. The ones that were killing him and mm, he's just mm. hamming it up like what are, are you are we going to do this again? I don't think we got the take like that's the kind of kid this kid is. I'm not a parent. Um, we bring this up a lot on this podcast when we talk about kid shit. It breaks my heart to watch the scene. The kid's so good. OK, I was going to play Josh and ask you because usually you ask me, hey, I don't have kids. What does this scene do to you? You ask me that all the time. And this scene fucked me up in theaters and made me uncomfortable watching it for the podcast. And I was curious if it was as disturbing to you. It sounds like it might have been. Well, and here's the other part of that. Because like I said, I can't imagine seeing it as a parent. But this is me and my tinfoil hat shit. You know, there's a long, true history of human sacrifice. The younger, the purer, the better. Throw the virgin in the volcano, all that kind of shit. The elderly in the volcano, all sorts of people in the fucking <laughs> volcano, apparently. Volcano hungry. Um, some people believe that ritualistic torture and murder gives them more power when they're doing black magic ceremonies, shit like there's crazy people out there. Mm-hmm. I firmly believe it still goes on to this day from serial killers all the way up to the fucking elite. I think there's still pockets of people that do this shit. So I was enthralled by that. I was like, you know, I'm going to say the word that's going to piss some people off. There's the whole adrenochrome thing like, oh, crazy people are torturing kids and drinking their adrenaline like that's that's insane. But the idea of that of torturing children to think you're taking their power is what's being represented here in torturing someone that shines and taking their power. The younger, the pure, the stronger, like you said, not all fucked up on pharmacology. And that really got my attention. Like that, that got my conspiracy mm-hmm. side. So I'm sitting here heartbroken watching this kid do this. I'm like, holy shit, I believe in this shit. So I'm hooked. Like my first time seeing this movie, I'm like, 
whatever, <laughs> whatever, man, Flanagan, take me away. I'm going to, I'm going to go on whatever ride for yeah. the rest of the movie. Your wording just made me realize so much the shining and the saying, take the light from their eyes. Yeah. Which is usually referred to as a soul. Yes, exactly. And you know, Stephen King was too coked out when he wrote the shining <laughs> to put that together. <laughs> so with, with Josh as the audience, what the rest of the audience should know now is those that shine have the best steam. So Dan replies, we go back to Dan because we just watched this horrific shit happen. And he asks back on the blackboard, who? And Abra answers back, baseball boy. We cut back to the true knot, burying Bradley in a shallow grave. And Rose tells Crow that they had a looker. We had a looker. Big steam? Oh, honey, it was huge. So they could obviously have some kind of lead back to Abra. So this whole thing's going to come full circle. I do want to point out something we see while they're torturing Bradley. One of the guys is playing with his glove and he keeps, he's like, come on, number 19, da, 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 da. Like just, just heckling mm-hmm. him while the shit's going down. So the next morning, Abra tells her mom about her new friend, Dan. And she goes to school, to the library to start internetting to find the baseball boy. <laughs> You refuse to say Googling. I'm, I'm trying. You? I'm trying. I'm, I'm trying to. That, this is the first step of me de-Googling my life. Like I've gotten another email account elsewhere and that's as far as I've made it. It's still just Gmail on my phone though. Anyways. Googling rolls off the tongue so much better than internet. Right. And do you, that's something that's crazy, man. Like this to you young listeners. Um, remember when we didn't have search engines, like when you had fucking Yahoo answers and ask Jeeves, it was an amazing thing. <laughs> <laughs> and it sucked at the oh, same time. Oh, it sucked bad until Metacrawler. Once we got Metacrawler, we were on to something. Of course, that went on. Alta Vista, baby. And that went on to, you know, the spiders that actually crawl links and da-da-da-da-da. Google, boom. Now it's Googling. Anyways, whole generation of people that don't know that pain. My favorite, I think we brought it up before, <laughs> is kids that click on the fucking floppy disk to save and don't know what that's a picture of. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. So, uh. She finds his, well, she doesn't find his obituary. She finds the missing boy, da-da-da-da-da, gets his name, gets his picture. And uh, with that in hand, she goes on to, like, remote view to try to find his body. And she does the whole thing. She sees the sign for the ethanol plant where it all went down. And then she accidentally drops in on Rose, who's grocery shopping. I guess they eat people food, too. I kind of don't understand that part. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Maybe they just work really hard to fit in. Well, I mean, if you think about it, Danny Torrance in The Shining and now as a human being, he just had extra powers. Think of him more like a mutant from like uh, X-Men or something. I said that earlier, but if you think about it that way, they're not undead. I mean, the true not are undead. So I guess you could kind of lean that way on it. But for the most part, they're just humans. They just also need to eat souls. It really is weird, though, because the true night, you would think they're undead and they don't age anymore. I know, right? Hmm. Because Danny ages normally. Now you done fucked me up, See, Josh. that's the thing. How powerful are these vampires? But they have toilet paper. And if anything, the last couple of years has taught us is we all need toilet paper. Anyways. When Abra can see into Rose, Rose can see into Abra. But Abra is strong enough to kick Rose out of her mind. And when she does the glass case with the milk in it and shit explodes and Rose goes flying and her hat flies off and shit. And Rose is all like, holy shit, what is this? All you can eat fucking buffet at the Sizzler. That's what that is. (laughs) 
We then see that Dan has collapsed at an AA meeting, so he must have felt this too. And it's it's going back in a circle from when we saw Abra, the bump on the bus, Rose getting a shock. It's happening again. The three of them are somehow connected on this plane when when big events happen. So Rose goes and updates Crow Daddy while Abra hops on a bus and makes her way to Dan. She just leaves school one day and says, fuck it. And uh, once they meet up, there's a funny fucking bit of dialogue. They're sitting there on a bench in Teeny Town. And Dan's like, you know, this day and age, a middle-aged man like me, a young girl like you, sitting together <laughs> on a bench, people ask questions. And she's all like, you're my Uncle Dan. And uh, so that's, he gets this, this guy's just made for monikers, you know, so he's Danny, Dan, Doc, Dr. Sleep, Uncle Dan. Um, that's all of them, right? <laughs> Who knows? And uh, Dan tells Abra what he knows about the shine and how when he was little, he called it Tony, da-da-da-da-da, that there's people that have it, people that suppress it, da-da-da-da. Just, just a real quick little thing to bring her up to speed on what her powers are as he understands them. Because they're, they're talking uh, telepathically and shit at first. And uh, mm. she tells Dan that she can find the body and that if she can get to the body and touch his glove, she can find the killers because one of the guys was playing with the glove. So Dan tries very hard to dissuade her and explains that, you know, when you can see them, they can see you. And I've had that happen before and they'll never stop coming after you. Of course, he's referring to what he saw at the Overlook. He doesn't overtly tell her that. He's mm. just trying to warn her. She's a kid with her newly discovered powers or newly discovering a purpose for her powers, so you're not going to stop mm. her. And at least one of the versions of the movie, you see Overlook Ghost come for him multiple times, and he quick locks him in a box. Like, he can do it like uh, 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 the Wild West hero quick drawing his six-shooter at, at, at high noon, and you just see another box drop, and there's just a fucking row of boxes in the snowy hallway and the i assume the snow maze from the shining and they're just fucking shaking screaming let me out but he catches a couple of them like that like that fast throughout the movie i think it's director's cut because i'm pretty sure in this version when he's telling abra that there's things out there blah 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 we see inside his mind and see the row of boxes in 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 the yeah yeah because she reads his mind and she wants to know what the fuck that is and he's like stay away i hate different cuts of movies it fucks us up every time i usually go with the directors um if it's a director episode that's actually our rule theatrical cut unless it's a director's episode then you do the director's cut and we broke our own rule but that's the usual (laughs) these days so abra is sent on her way and that night at work, Dan sees Azzy go into an empty room because he's like, Azzy, you're, you're, you're mm. confused. There's nobody in that room. And he goes in there and it's not empty and it's Dick. And like you're saying, he almost goes to trap him. And, uh, <laughs> oh, I even put in there. He nearly traps him. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Oh, and Dan has trapped a lot of overlooked ghosts. That's my notes. So, uh, apparently it gets addressed there and I thought it was with Abra, but yeah. So Dick explains what the true knot could do if they found Abra. And this is like hearkening back to Dick being the, the conscience with the, the woman and the baby. Um, he recommends that Dan does as Abra asks. It's like, fuck. <laughs> is it because her main shining power is she can track anybody down and view them? Is that what you got out uh, of it? By the time we get to the end of the movie, her shine is just all powerful. Yeah, I feel like Rose's initial push for is with her, we can find anybody with the shine. Well, here's what's real funny. You're talking about wanting to read the book. So in the book, <laughs> Bradley <laughs> has measles. And when they catch him, they end up giving 
from what I read, don't quote me, not a video from what I read about this, they end up uh, getting the true knot, get the measles from Bradley and Abra okay. can cure them. Are we sure Stephen King's off cocaine? Exactly. Now, I don't think it's a like she, her power. <laughs> she's the cure for measles. I think it's it's degenerative and her steam can help them regenerate. Mm. In the movie, I got the vibe that like she can find and talk to anybody with The Shining. And with that, they can never run out of steam because they can always find yeah. you. Because she even found Danny. Right? Exactly. And that's <laughs> the thing because I think it's Crow and Rose have a quick little back and forth later on where it's like to do we eat her or do we turn her and like it should right. we turn someone that powerful and rose is like whoa 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 like i think and i think you're right i think rose already had this idea but even she wouldn't say it because she wanted didn't want anything to fuck it up well rose appears to me to be the most powerful person living with the shine yes. to an extent except for maybe danny but it's like it's kind of that like he, he's a farm boy that hasn't realized his full potential yet yes. right and uh, she wouldn't want anybody more powerful than her, even if it would be for the family, because she'd get dethroned. She probably dethroned fucking Uncle Flick or Grandpa Flick or whatever. Previous, you exactly. know what I mean? Like, like she's the best because she can track people. We can see that Rose can find. Actually, can she though? Because it seems like Crow Daddy finds nah, most let, people. Yeah, okay, we're gonna have Rose do her thing where she takes a trip and flies through the air and shit and lands on yeah, yeah the most made fun of scene of the movie that is one of my favorite scenes of the movie well when we get to that let's talk about that because if people are shitting on it thinking that we're let's supposed to be it. seeing it that way it's it's allegory it's representing her taking the trip to Abra. right yeah everybody's like Ugh, she could fly through space now no, no. <laughs> <laughs> she can't you fucking ingress yes, and every everyone <laughs> has either a filing or filing cabinets or a cathedral with a fucking rolodex in their brain anyways um oh Speaking of that scene, meanwhile, Rose remote views on Abra. She flies right down in front of her house, and it looks awesome. And it does look awesome. It does. And uh, she slips through her window, and this is there's already been two Flanagan camera turn ninety degrees shots that I've I've glazed over because that's his thing, and he does a couple of them in this movie, and it's fucking cool, like it always is. But she slips in through her window. And Abra's asleep in bed, and at the other wall opposite of her bed, there's just a wall of filing cabinets. And they're all labeled, and one of them's cracked open just a little bit. But Rose starts tearing through this one labeled me, but it's a trap. And mm. Abra springs up, and she doesn't have eyes, and she's got a purple wig on, so it's like this weird, uncanny, like almost her, but not quite her thing. And the cabinet slams shut on Rose's hand, and she's screaming and shit and trying to pull it out. And Abra uses this chance to grab her and go into her mind. And she's like fucking on speed and shit, just flying through all the fucking cards in, in her cathedral. Cause that's what mm -hmm. she says. Mine's a cathedral. And, uh, Rose finally rips her hand out of the cabinet, partially, partially degloving it. And that's how she escapes. <laughs> Kirksman did the degloving in Gerald's game. That's why it looks so good in this uh, when Rose's hand gets so fucked up. I will say I get more nauseous in Gerald's game when it happens. Yeah, it's, it's a lengthy process in Gerald's game. Oh, my God. It shit doesn't get me, but that scene fucked me up. So Rose gets flung through the air across the country and back into her body on top of the motorhome and then flies off onto the ground like, holy shit, which she didn't really fly, you guys. This is allegory. It's showing <laughs> us traveling there. Anyways, 
it, and and that's what people make fun of is the effect. First off, the effect looked fantastic, so you can't even make fun of the actual no. effects. And then the idea of her flying through space, and it's like she's not flying through space; she's jumping into her mind and digging through her memories. But what I like about it from a filmmaking perspective, I like when she's stuck. The look of fucking I'm winning on Abra's eyes. The look of I am so fucked on Rose's eyes. And then Rose just like fucking straining out and doing the slow-mo step back like she's fighting yeah. it because she has to get lined back up at the window. And like she just sells it with her face. And and that's when Abra has the, oh, fuck, I'm not as cool as I thought I was face. And then she jumps to get out of her mind which you and I realize is happening here to get out of Abra's control or purview or whatever there. And I don't know. I just, the ugh, it's just one of those like really slow dramatic scenes. I just really like the whole step in the when she steps back. Cause she has to line up at this window and this memory to get out of her mind. I don't know. I just thought the whole thing was shot well and foleyed well. And Rose and Abra's faces fucking sell what's going on right there. And then you have idiots making Star Trek and Star Wars jokes. Yeah. I mean, how else are you supposed to show someone traveling telepathically and two people digging through each other's minds? I thought it was a great way to show it. Um, Mm, mm. Anyways. And the struggle. Struggle is real. Because uh, if I remember right, this is probably where you're about to jump out right now. Rose is a little fucked up when she makes it back to the roof of the trailer, She's right? fucked up. The RV or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that's a slice by slice technical term that we have trademarked <laughs> a lot fucked up. But unfortunately, Grandpa Flick is even more fucked up and he's dying. And like, mm. as he's fucking fading away, he'll, he like does these like flashes to where you see him dead and like his skeleton and it actually looks cool. It does mm-hmm. not look cheesy at all. Mm-hmm. And Rose is there and she's, she's like, you dined on Kings. You, you watched empires rise and fall, da, 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 da. But he's just doing the same thing that the old guys are doing in front of Danny. They're like, I'm dying. It's over. I'm, 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 I'm fucking, I'm gone. What, what, what happens? He's calm that way. Other than the shifting through the different forms. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's part of what makes me think that he was the boss before Rose got there. Possibly. Yeah, because you feasted on empires. Well, and they call yeah. him Grandpa Flick. Like, I won't, he could literally be grandpa of some of the members of the tribe, the, the group mm. or whatever. But it, it ties this thread that we're going to get to at the very end of the movie of, you know, from life and death and is there something after? And even these evil fuckers have to think about this. But it's a really good scene. Mm-hmm. It's really powerful. And as soon as he's gone and his steam is released, they all fucking pounce on him like a pack of wild dogs because it's steam. Mm-hmm. It's eats. Got to get it. Mm-hmm. Extra dark and fucked up more than you'd think it would be. <laughs> but it really is. So Abra then updates Dan and on like, you know, I I, I got her. I saw this. Da, 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 da. And Dan's like, fuck. <laughs> And he goes to Billy and he's like, you once said that you, you saw that look on me, da, 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 da. You know, that's why you took me in. I'm going to tell you a story and I just need you to listen to me. And we immediately cut to them driving in a car. So I don't know if he's just told him recent events. I don't know if he told him all the way back to the overlook, but whatever he told him, Billy's like, I, either my friend's crazy or I'm going to see some shit. And this is what we're going to do. I think he's just being a good AA sponsor and he doesn't know <laughs> he's if gonna hit the Danny's on a fucking bender right now. And the only way to prove reality is to go on the fucking bender with him and just see what happens. He's just being a good sponsor. That's all. So with the guidance of Abra, um, they're being led to the ethanol plant where, where Bradley was killed. And 
Abra is talking to Dan, like she's sitting in the back of the, yeah, she's sitting in the back of the car, but she's not really there because they're going mm. to dig him up and she does not go for that. That gets confusing. And then they use it their advantage later on. But anyways, she's like, it's easy. I, I, it was just like this. And she jumps into Dan's mind and she's like, immediately like, whoa, that's some fucked up shit. And she sees the Overlook Hotel. She sees the boxes. And Dan's like, don't ever do that. And she's yeah. like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. Like, she doesn't even know how easy it is to use her powers. And she's doing this from afar and shit. Like, this is this is some intense shit. She's a kid. So uh, they dig up Bradley. They vomit and gag and uh, have a very hard time doing it. While Billy talks about, you know, this, I've been hunting before. I found a dead deer before. Like, this is that smell. Um, it's pretty intense. And more importantly, they get the glove and they go to take it to Abra. So Dan, of course, had told Abra, fill in your dad on everything that's been going on because we're going to need his help. And despite what Abra told him, dad is very, very unhappy to see the trio when they come to the house or when the trio is all at the house. Now, you're a father. Um, all dad knows is that my 13 year old daughter is hanging out with these two older guys, like, like in their forties mm -hmm. plus guys, like this is not okay. And he comes outside ready to fuck shit up and Abra grabs him. And it's like the crow, it's like 40 hours of pain all at once. And dad's like, holy <laughs> shit. And I think it's a, one of those quick cuts to him, like shaking, trying to pour water or, or, or no, trying to pour some whiskey. And, uh, <laughs> Cause it's like, y'all, y'all, y'all gonna make me drink alone. Okay. <laughs> or some shit like that. Yeah. And, uh, so he's on board. Cause I would need a drink after that personally. Yeah, I'd need several, but he, the only adults in the room with her are fucking in AA. So they can't. <laughs> shit, I'd probably be pouring one for my kid. <laughs> like you've seen some shit too. So, so oh, yeah. this one time. Oh yeah. That's when your 15 year old daughter gets her first fucking <laughs> shot of whiskey or scotch or whatever the fuck right then. Oh shit. We don't condone that either on this podcast. Um, so <laughs> if your child has psychic powers and gives you 40 years of pain or whatever the fuck, then yes, it's condoned at that point. In time. <laughs> we have gone past legal precedence. At this the point. one acceptable time. So with dad now on board, they give Abra the glove and she remotes to the caravan and she sees that they're headed their way, but she doesn't see Rose. So Dan tells Abra to let the true knot see her and Dan, Abra and Billy all travel to the campground. And this part's a little confusing at first, but not so much once you see what's going on. Cause we then see Rose is guiding the true knot to them from afar. So Rose has stayed behind like Crow Daddy said, cause he's like, if she's this powerful, we can't risk you going. It could be another trap, blah, 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 blah. Right. So you got team a team B they're heading towards each other and going to converge. And they converge at this campsite and they immediately spot Abra sitting on this picnic table. And, uh, Andy does her thing and tells her that she's feeling sleepy and she immediately goes to sleep and she jabs her in the neck with a sedative. No, wait, it's a stuffed bunny, not Abra. <laughs> So Abra's obviously doing some of that projecting glamour bullshit and shots start ringing out. And uh, what it is, is Dan and Billy off in the woods and they're just picking off the true knot because apparently like regular mm -hmm. human injury still kill them. It's a power they don't have. And uh, they're just, I mean, pretty well dropping them. They're shooting back and, but they're not getting any licks in. You do see the light flicker out of their eyes and the steam come out, which is kind of a uh -huh. nice touch. So it eventually gets to a point where Andy and Crow are the only ones left of the true knot that we've seen there. 
But Andy manages to put Dan to sleep when he has to stop to reload. But lucky for him, Abra calls to him and wakes him up just as Andy is about to shoot him in the face. But then Billy shoots Andy from behind in the fucking neck. And she falls down and she's bleeding out. She's doing the flashing thing and she's about to be fucking gone. Hooray, they killed him all off. She looks at Billy and she goes, kill yourself. And he fucking blows his brains out. Much to Dan's yeah, dismay. Really um, this is totally not in the book, um, especially with Billy being different oh. characters. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's a whole different thing from what I understand. And I believe we cut back to rose regularly as people die and she can feel every one of her family members fucking die. oh yeah she's having a bad time but yeah Yeah. she's watching it all go down from afar and by the way in case anybody's wondering where's mom we had a setup for mom to go out of town because she's talking to abra and she's like i'm gonna go see my mom can you tell me is she gonna make it through this time and that's the only time grandma gets mentioned so we're down to just dan and crow and abra realizes wait a minute i haven't even seen crow daddy here and that's when we Snap back to where Abra is sitting at home. He's been there busy killing her fucking dad, who's now laying dead on the ground. And he jabs Abra in the neck with the sedative and takes her away. And that's one of those differences between the theatrical cut and the director's cut is you actually get to see Crow Daddy murder pops in the director's cut, which for some reason was removed, right? Or edited at least heavily. Yeah. An- another one of those that it, it makes sense to have it there. I don't know. I mean, it makes it, you get the shock value either way. <laughs> so I don't yeah. know why it got killed or cut. Um, There's definitely some death involved. <laughs> so now it's just Dan who goes hauling ass back to Abra's house and finds her dead pops and obviously finds no Abra. So he does the, the shining telepathic thing and he calls out to her. What we're seeing while this is going on is that she is fucking knocked out and belted into the back of this van with Crow Daddy. And uh, Crow Daddy's going on on this whole long diatribe that leads up to where he's talking about, you know, nothing changed. The outcome hasn't changed. We still have you. Some of your people died. Some of my people died. What a waste. Blah, 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 blah. Um, and he's smarting off that the sedatives got her, you know, not only is it going to make you go to sleep, but it's going to block your shine because she's trying to call out to Dan. And he's like, that isn't going to work. But Abra's a badass and they're still able to connect. Not only do they connect, but Dan is actually able to hop into Abra. And it's funny because all of a sudden you got Abra going, whoa, I feel hungover <laughs> and, and talking mm-hmm. completely differently. That's some good shit. So Crow is pretty damn sure, by the way, Abra's talking, that he's not talking to a 13-year-old girl. Who are you? I'm the guy that killed your friends. Love that line. <laughs> Metal as uh, fuck is the, the verbiage we like to yeah, use. Yeah, that is some I love you, I know shit right there. Now, what Dan the Badass talking through Abra and seeing <laughs> through Abra. Old Ben Kenobi is what we'll call him <laughs> from now on. <laughs> He notices that Crow Daddy isn't wearing a seatbelt and he force pushes the van into a tree. See, I even had a joke for you in there. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. (laughs) And Crow is ejected out the fucking windshield and dies. But Abra, who was double strapped in, is fine. So she goes walking down the street and uh, Rose is beyond pissed, obviously, with Crow Daddy gone. Now, Now it's just her. Well, I mean, there's more true not, but like they're band of fuckers. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> she's the 
Her immediate family is yes. gone. And uh, she confronts Abra on the street, but Abra knows it's just a projection, walks right through her. Like, those drugs got out of her system kind of quick. That's the only only fault I can give this. Um, <laughs> you know what? I can explain this if you want me to with just the, the wave of a hat. Go for it. Dan took over her body, and she got his fucking drug tolerance from them decades of fucking doing blow and drinking and banging hookers. And he just fucking absorbed that shit. That's why he's like, whoa. Okay. Because he just came out of 10 years of AA right there. And he just fucking absorbed all the drugs for her. Because he's an addict and he wanted it. <laughs> I'll accept it. <laughs> so we cut back to where Rose really is back at what's left of the caravan. And she starts going through all the little urn things they've got with steam in them. And she's just like gunning mm-hmm. them all and fucking like she's, she's on a bender and uh, she sets off to kill who she refers to as the bitch child. <laughs> yeah. I really wish I knew how the fucking thermoses worked. Cause I don't think you can buy those at Walmart. No, <laughs> especially not the full ones. <laughs> They're definitely empty when you find them. Um, so based on the, the sign that they were able to see from in the van, Dan finds Abram and, uh, he takes her to the only place logical for the final battle, the place that eats souls, yeah, the overlook. Mm, mm. And we get a recreation of the opening flyover from the shining only it's fucking dark and ominous and it's mm. familiar yet foreboding. And it's great. Um, like really great. <laughs> <laughs> and once they get there, remember, there's only one road in, one road out through the mountain pass and everything. Fucking Donner party jokes and all that shit. And <laughs> they're there and Dan tells Abra to just stay in the car where it's warm and to blast him when she sees Rose. And Dan heads inside to wake up the hotel. And it's great because he goes in and it's like it's run down and boarded up and dilapidated and everything. But if you've seen The Shining, it's like really familiar to you. And they did mm-hmm. a really good job of making it look the same, just as good of a job as they did in the flashbacks. And he heads straight down to the boiler and fires it mm-hmm. up. And then he makes his way to the caretaker suite. The famous elevator scene somewhere in here, right? With the blood sloshing yes, around? Yes, once Rose shows up. I just know uh, I, I saw an interview with Flanagan. He was really upset because he did not want to use CGI for that part. And then he realized how impossible it was to line the blood up with the original shot. And he had a CGI. And, and I was thinking about that when I was watching it again, because he he did a, they, they, I think Rise, there was like five different VFX studios that worked on this. I think Rise may have done that. It looks great. It, the leading edge is the only dead giveaway that it's CGI. All of it sloshing around and everything behind that looks fucking awesome. So Dan then makes his way to the caretaker suite and everything still looks exactly the same. The hole in the wall or the hole in the door and everything. Mm-hmm. It's fucking great. And then he heads to the gold room. And as he cuts down the hallway, just before going into the gold room, you can see the fucking Oculus mirror hanging in the hallway. Yeah. It's a Flanagan movie. That fucking mirror is going to show up somewhere. Somehow. That reminds me, there was a running thing with Juan and Lee Whannell putting Billy in everything somehow, some way. Did you find anything on a drawing of Billy or anything like that being put in a malignant? I never caught Billy and I didn't see any reference of it. And if I missed it, I'm sorry, please take a screenshot and email it to us at uh, s by s podcast, gmail.com and call me a bitch in the email. That's uh, 
I did, however, see that Comic-Con just happened this yep. week, and David F. Sandberg released the trailer for Shazam! Battle of the Gods, or whatever Shazam! Part 2 is, his superhero Warner Brothers movie franchise, yeah. right? And I don't know how much you know about Shazam. I don't know if you saw the movie or not, or read the comics ever, but it's a kid that when his power activates, he's an adult that's a superhero, okay. right? And he needs help in the trailer. So he goes to a psychiatrist and he's asking him what to do. And, and the guy goes, you understand I'm a child psychologist, right? And he leans and, and points at a, a tea table for like a tea party. And Annabelle's sitting there with the rest of the teddy bears. Uh, so I thought that was kind of nice because that's awesome. It's kind of in the same world. I'm sorry. It wasn't Billy, but Sandberg did do Annabelle creation. He threw that in there, but no, I did not catch a Billy. There was no random chalkboard drawing of him or anything like that for me to catch. In this okay. film. So once in the gold room, Dan has a chat with the new bartender, Lloyd, the bartender, mm. he says he is. He pours a whiskey, and Dan says, this was your brand. And we haven't had the reveal of the bartender yet. We've just got mm. Dan sitting there looking at the glass, holding it like he's talking to his father. And I, I believe Lloyd is the name of the bartender. In The Shining. In yes. The Shining. It's just the, yeah, yeah, he just looks different. Yeah. <laughs> we see our Jack Torrance lookalike. It's obvious to us that's seen The Shining that this is supposed to be his dad that's stuck there. And, uh, but he's like, no, my name's Lloyd. I'm, he's like, I'm sorry. You must have me confused for somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> Here's Johnny. <laughs> Dan goes on to tell him that, uh, he was 20 when mom died and Lloyd doesn't want to hear it. And, uh, Lloyd says this drink is medicine. It's the eraser of the mind's blackboard. And there's, it's a really long, dark exchange between the two of them. That's best to actually watch. I didn't want to pull clips from it. I don't want to say the whole thing He's yeah. about when he would see flies on people before they died. Da, 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 da. Um, the more I watch it, the more I'm okay with it. Cause it's the whole thing of, you know, that's not the Jack Torrance. I remember from the shining. How dare you recast blah, blah, blah. Why didn't you de-age da, 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 da. Like all these things. But, um, I'm okay with it. If anybody was going to bitch about it, it'd be me. And I have, but I, I think I'm okay with it. It seems more important. <laughs> I'm okay with it because we're getting a Flanagan flick for one. And you know, he uses the same people a lot, even if it's a very famous person thrown in a two minute scene. Right. Yep. And this is supposed to be a joint product of the books and the yes. film. Right. And Jack Nicholson was not in the books. Exactly. <laughs> Obviously. Right. He, he's in the, he's in the shining They're characters film. and, Right, and they did a good job of making him look like Jack Nicholson. Oh, yeah. I mean, he has the same fucking crazy hair, and he's talking like him. I, I don't know. Like, this was the Flanagan way to do it. Had Juan done it this way, I might have bitched. I don't know. But the fact that it was Flanagan, and let's be honest, as much credit as we give Flanagan for being original and have style, he's done a lot of remakes. Yeah. Remakes, poor word. Remakes and adaptations. Adaptation. Yeah, there you go. There you go. And... uh I don't know. He knows what the fuck he's doing. So he took a regular cast member that he uses all the time that we grew up with because Elliot, right? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> he throws them in everything. And if you were going to replace Jack Nicholson with one person to make me not angry in a Flanagan movie, you pick the only person yeah. you could do it with. I'm just saying, drop the mic right there. <laughs> <laughs> so their exchange then gets interrupted by Abra calling out to Dan. She's here because she can see the headlights mm. on the hill. Must be Rose. So Dan goes and gets Abra and brings her inside the hotel and the hotel starts to wake up even more than it was when Dan came in. Cause when Dan came in, some lights would flicker as he walked by and shit like that until he got, got the power restored. But, uh, Abra comes in and the hotel's like, Whoa, what's this? Like twice as bright and shit. And I think this is when Dan goes ahead and grabs an ax. 
Yeah. So Rose comes in behind him, and uh, as soon as she walks past it, she sees a flash of the elevator lobby blood before spotting the pair on the stairs. And by the pair on the stairs, I mean Abra and Dan, and that's in the big like cafeteria rec room area where the typewriter was and all that shit. Um, but it is Rose sees the whole thing and it holds on it for a minute and we get the blood going, but it's all the dilapidated building and everything. I don't care how it was done. It still fucking looks good. <laughs> and you can tell it's like totally like a fan service thing. He's like, I'm putting the fucking scene in and it has no relevance to the plot and nobody's going to complain. Cause it's going to look exactly. Good. So Rose is standing there by the typewriter and Dan and Abra banish her into the hedge maze. So Rose is like, oh, this is interesting because she's like, oh, this is inside your mind. That's where you've taken me. And Abra's leading her through the maze because Rose picks up on her footsteps and we get a couple of flashes where we can see Abra running. And Rose finally stops. And there's a little bit of back and forth between them, but Abra keeps appearing from behind Rose and slashing her with a knife. She's like, hey, gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> and she does this like two or three times. And uh, she also reminds her, she's like, Pain and fear purify the steam, like using Rose's own words yeah. against her. Because she's been watching and she saw her sell that exactly. shit, right? And eventually Rose has had enough and she just fucking grabs Abra by the throat and is holding her up in the air. And she's talking shit to her and shit. And it's a really cool scene because like just creeping into frame is one of these boxes. And you've, at least in the theatrical version, you mm -hmm. haven't seen one for scale unless you really pay attention to how they are in the hedge mage. And this thing's big. It's like, like four coffins yeah. big and it's stood up on in and it's just sliding into frame. Like, like, like a, <laughs> like a creepy predator. Like I'm going to get you. I'm going to get like, it's, it's comical, but it's, it, it's almost cheesy. It just works. Cause we know that we're looking at like mental games exactly. and illusion right now in the, the real world. Yeah, right? I'm totally okay with it. And it's just about to fucking snap on her. But then Rose's realizes that she's not in Abra's mind. She's somewhere else. And the three of them all snap back to standing in that room. And yeah. of course, <laughs> Dan tells Abra to run and she runs and Rose confronts Dan and we get this whole flashback thing. He's backing up the steps as Rose is talking to him and we get flashes back to the, the Torrance couple with the bat you know, and everything. The the scene yeah. that, that Kubrick made them do, like it's it's in the Guinness Book of World Records, that they made them shoot that scene like 107 times or some shit. At least that's how it's written, that it, he wanted her so gassed out and so emotional that he's like, this. I don't believe this yet. Like, And that's, I, I was reading a thing that that was uh, King's biggest gripe with Kubrick, that in the book, The Shining, Wendy's actually a strong character. She's a fighter. She's, yeah. she's not weak willed. And in, in the shining, she's just a whiny little girl. Like, Oh, I got to do everything. My yeah, man. But if it wasn't for Kubrick's version of the shining, we would have never gotten maximum overdrive. <laughs> I'm just saying because Stephen King went live on air high on cocaine to say, Kubrick, I want to show you how a horror film was made. <laughs> so we have to think Kubrick and his changes to the, uh, the source material. Or else we couldn't make fun of Emilio Estevez in a future episode. Oh, I can't wait for that one. I know, I know. Um, before we get too much past the snow maze, I just want to say, you know, I'm 50-50 on fan service on movies usually. Okay. I really would have loved to have seen Abra run through the snow and then step backwards through her own footprints to run off a different direction. I know. Well, that's the thing. The hedge maze doesn't even exist in The Shining Book. There were hedge animals that were alive but the maze doesn't even exist. That's what Kubrick turned it into. He turned the animals into a hedge maze. Okay. Anyways, 
so with Rose confronting Dan on these steps, she's like, holy shit. And she like realizes the, his shine and the power that she's so close to. And she's like, where have you been? How did we miss you? And like, she's seeing him as a kid and she's like, whoa, how have we missed you for so long? Of course, what we know is he fucking boozed it up to keep the voices out and to, to suppress his shine. Um, but what I think you're supposed to get right there is he's stronger than Rose and Abra. I, I think he could have been had he not suppressed it. I think that's that's what they're trying to tell us. Well, I, I think he's currently suppressed is the thing. But, like, I think he's still naturally. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. He's got yeah, the yeah. it or whatever. Yeah, yeah, So he backs up to the top of the stairs, axe in hand, and Rose actually offers to turn him. She ain't got no family left. And he's real powerful. He'd be real <laughs> useful. So they start to duke it out. Rose ends up getting him in the femoral artery with the axe and throws him down the stairs. And she pounces on him, and she's jamming her thumb in his leg and just squeezing his steam out. So as she's trying to torture the steam out of him, she sees what he saw as a child, and that being some of the things that he saw in the Overlook. And she also sees the boxes, and she doesn't know what they are. What are you not alone in there? What are you hiding, huh? What's in those? Something special, huh? They're not special. They're starving. Love that line. It's kind of cheesy, but it works. It 100% fits, though. (laughs) It can't be cheesy if it 100% fits. Dan unlocks the boxes. (laughs) And the the pair is surrounded by the ghosts of the Overlook, and they immediately devour Rose. But they're still hungry. And Danny looks tasty. You and McGregor always looks tasty. (laughs) (laughs) He's more useful as a trap for the other fresh meat, Abram. So the possessed, limping, axe-wielding Dan then chases down Abra. And this is all feeling very, very familiar as far as The Shining goes. So as Dan is chasing Abra through the hotel, looking a lot like Jack Torrance, she ends up hiding in room 217. I mean, room 237, and that's a story for another episode. Mm. This is the room. Is it, it is. Whenever we cover The Shining, <laughs> yeah. Good old Lorraine Massey stands up in the tub, and uh, Abra's even like, not now. <laughs> like, I ain't got time for this shit. <laughs> Which is the same attitude little Danny has earlier in the movie. He's like, you bitch, you're going in exactly. the box. So Dan, of course, bursts through the door, and he's a bigger issue. And Abra warns the evil possessed Dan that it has no idea who it's in and that Dan made one stop at the boiler room as soon as he arrived. And Mm -hmm. the hotel takes a swing at her with the axe, but Dan is able to hold it back. Now, that's exactly what happens in The Shining Book. This is literally right at the end of The Shining Book. So Dan comes through and he tells Abra to run. And she runs, but we see the eye go all crazy again as the hotel takes over once more. Mm-hmm. And as I keep saying, fighting off the possession and the soon-to-be runaway boiler come from the book. And they were completely changed in Kubrick's movie. And this is the kind of twist okay. and melding, taking the first ending and the other ending from the book to the movie from The Shining and then twisting what was left Mm -hmm. out of the end of The Shining and putting it into the end of Dr. Sleep, even though this doesn't happen in the end of the Dr. Sleep book. So he fixes The Shining, but he omits Mm -hmm. (laughs) the ending of Dr. Sleep, but he keeps the characters. So 
it's it's a mind meld, especially you got you have to yeah. read about it a little bit, but it's it's the boiler. It's it's the boiler. It's always been the boiler in the Shining book. Yeah, the place fucking burns down. You explaining that right now was phenomenal to me because I just realized how much it, it was always a feat to me him merging the two, but like the fact the the way the ending works yeah. out. Right. Cause I, I haven't done much research in the book because I, I like to get surprised by the books still because they can do that to you, even though you've seen a film adaptation. And, um, I don't know when you said that, I'm like, man, that is the ultimate merge was just how he made the endings. Connect. Yes. Like that was the main lines connecting the dots to fix everything is he's like, you know what? You fucked up the ending of the book in the shining Kubrick, which was the biggest downfall. So I'm going to use your ending and turn it into the new ending in this shit. And everybody's going to end up in the same spot. And that was his like, uh, his shining beacons there to unite. Yeah, the team. And then King read it and got a heart on. I mean, literally King was stoked at how he did this, but, uh, we're almost there. King was stoked with Flanagan when he saw Gerald's yeah, game. That was when he said, anything you want to do, you can do it. <laughs> yeah. You made a movie out of two people stuck in a room together. Yeah. Sold. So the hotel then, of course, tries to shut down the boiler before it goes into full runaway. And Dan goes down there and he's able to fight it off. And he watches as the boiler burst into into flames, the room burst into flames. And then all of a sudden we see his mother there and she's reaching out and it's a profile shot and the shot starts to pull out and she's reaching out and she's got her hand on Danny's face. Little Danny, not Dan. And it's like mom and son it's over we can move on now da 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 is exactly how that plays out in my opinion um we and we cut mm-hmm. to abra outside watching the fire consume the shit out of the hotel and we fade to abra back home talking with dan and she's telling dan how she watched it burn and dan tells her not to hide or shine because there's still more evil in the world and then her mom pops in to say dinner's ready and mom asks Abra, who are you talking to? And Abra says, nobody. And then she's like, okay. And she goes walking away and Abra comes out and she's like, mom, that's not true. I was talking to Dan. <laughs> and it gets me choked up just thinking about it because it's a powerful scene if you think about this thread throughout the movie. Um, mm-hmm. Because. Because mom knows what's up at this mom, point. Mom seems to not be the aggressor of stifling her daughter it seemed to have been more dad and that mom was just kind of like i'm trying to keep the family together let's not rock the boat and uh i got that from the silverware on the ceiling like mom seemed to like think daughter was special and dad was trying to use science for some fucking reason it's the power of magnetism (laughs) so mom's got that look on her face like okay it hit me and abra just says we go on after and dan's okay And daddy's okay too. And mom's just kind of like, okay. So we see that Abra is doing like Dan said, she's embraced her gift and mom's ready to believe. And then Abra says she'll be down in just a second because she looks down the hall and sees Lorraine Massey in the bathroom tub. And she walks in Mm -hmm. and shuts the door behind her, just like we saw Danny do when he had his first box to confront her. So not only do we know that Abra has embraced her power, she's ready to fight the, the, the evil powers that she has to, it puts a bow on it with Dan and that's it. That's credits. And there's a second implication there. Cause she's also having to clean up the mess they made yeah. to stop Rose. Cause all of those spirits are still exactly. out there and she has to stop them. And I like that. It was like a frame by frame. 
And it, it's also important to note that uh, Danny, Dr. Sleep, is the new Dick Halloran, but for Abra, right? Yeah. Like, he's the advisor and the guy, because Dick Halloran was dead and just a spirit in uh, Danny's head. Which brings another question. I don't even think this was covered earlier when we were talking about the movie, but uh, Dick Halloran actually gets confused at some point because he sees Danny out of time. And I don't know if that's from the book or not. I don't remember. Yeah, so so Dick tells Danny in the movie that, um, and this could be a director's cut thing. I haven't seen the theatrical cut since opening weekend, but Dick Halloran tells uh, Danny that he's confused at when they are right now because he doesn't see him in order, which I, I think was kind of like one of those Disney Plus TV shows like Kenobi, like revisiting shit that happened in a movie in the 70s yeah. kind of thing and like to, to retroactively fit it. If something seems out of place from The Shining, it's okay because he doesn't see him in the, in, in the normal uh, reference of time. I think that's fine because if I remember right, in The Shining, it's implied that Danny is seeing uh, the future. Danny's not seeing through the veil. Okay. He's seeing he's seeing what's going to happen to Dad. He's seeing, and I I want to say I read that, and it's actually made very clear in the book that. That okay. Not, so that totally makes sense for Flanagan to have made sure to have put that in there, or for King to have made sure to make mention of it in uh, Doctor Sleep. Yeah, because it's like Danny had a spirit guide from his childhood to his adulthood, and now Abra does. You're going to go in your cave and find your spirit animal. Slide. <laughs> I love the boxes. The boxes were like a really nice touch to give the uh, the hero, for lack of a better term. A little bit of an edge. Yeah, totally. And to show him, you know, battling his demons that we got to wonder what he did for the past 30 or 40 years. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, it's nice to see Abra pick it back up. I don't know. Just fucking this one's movies, like as a whole, I would almost not super get into it. But the the pieces are done so well. Does it make sense? Like, I love this movie. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to insult it, but um like on paper as a whole, it seems like one of those movies that I might not get into. And it's not like an elevated horror thing. Like there is a lot of elevated horror movies. I hate. <laughs> There's also a bunch of like as well. Right. So it, it, it's not like that. It's just like, I don't know, as a whole, you would think I wouldn't like it or I would think I wouldn't like it. And then Flanagan did all the shots so well and, and the pieces that it just, I don't know, it added what I needed to make the story whole connect wholly to me and it just made me realize that i should probably read the shining before i read dr sleep so yeah coming soon (laughs) (laughs) i don't know though like him doing some of the stephen king stuff he's done like gerald's game and stuff like that's really impressive him having the balls to step in and do dr sleep when the movie's arguably more famous than the book oh yeah at least a film goers At least the film goers, right? And he somehow had to tie the book in as a sequel without completely readapting the book. The Dr. Sleep book, yeah. that is. Because the Dr. Sleep book doesn't give a fuck about the Kubrick film. It goes off the King novel because King wrote exactly. both of them. And uh, I don't know. I don't know how you walk with balls that big, for one. And uh, I don't know. Two, it sounds like he he mastered it. We'll see after I read the books. I'm going to, like I said, bump those up on my list and read both of them. I'm not a real big stickler. I made a joke earlier about, you know, we'll see how I feel after I read the books. <laughs> I understand film and book is different, right? So um, 
I don't I don't shit on that so much. I do usually enjoy the books because the extra detail you get, but that's because it's written in prose and not trying to show you everything. Um, something else I picked up on as you were talking. You said The Shining was written by Stephen King as his uh, struggle with his addictions. Yeah. And Dr. Sleep was written as his uh, recovery from his addictions. Yes. And I did not know this until recently when Midnight Mass came out. But Mike Flanagan is now sober and was not until semi-recently. Don't quote me in the amount of years to months, but it, it hasn't been like part of his career. He was not sober that we've liked. Him. Oh, interesting. Because Midnight Mass was, was his story about his struggle with addiction and then being raised Catholic while being atheist. Okay. I could definitely see the latter. And that was like his main things. He wanted to deal. Yeah. yeah he wanted to deal with, you know, being raised religious while not being religious and a battle with addiction and what horror battles addiction more than vampirism. Yeah. So it's interesting to me that Flanagan and King were paired before this. And then if this was King's intention with the story, it was done at the exact right time for Flanagan to do it as well, because he understands those demons. Oh, that's just extra neat. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you knew that part. I I randomly just found it because my wife and I had a debate about the ending of midnight mass and how to interpret it because we're Catholic. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, Sometimes I see things differently, correctly and incorrectly because of my love of film. Right. And she was taking it at face value. And apparently that final speech was meant to be taken at face value. There was no read between the lines on it in Midnight Mass. But the the research on that led me to find out about his struggles with addiction. And uh, I don't know. I feel like that gave him a little bit more understanding to tell King's story. Absolutely. And. I don't know. We we both have fucking spit this up so much this episode, but Jesus trying to take that movie and that book and put it together. I know. And he did both. He did both. And he did a good job. That blew my mind when I started reading about it. Cause there's a little bit on the behind the scenes with him yeah. and King talking about it and it's vague. And then you go read about it and you're like, Whoa, as someone who's never read the book, like I didn't, I had, I'd seen bits and pieces of the, the nineties TV series thing that was like more true and everything. Mm-hmm. But, uh, Going into like, no, 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 no. This is, this is what Kubrick did that was omitted. This is what he changed and this is what pissed King off. And this is what Flanagan did. And it's like, oh, I get it a lot more. How do you think all that through where you're taking three, three things that already exist from the book, the movie and the second book, and then have to write your own shit on top of it and then meld the three. And that's, that's, it's kind of motherfucker you can't play chess with. You know what I mean? (laughs) <laughs> right. Flanagan's attention to detail. He was the motherfucker to do this. And part of the edge I think Flanagan gets is his original film job before he was a director and screenwriter. And he was an yep. editor, if I remember correctly. And um, I don't know. I feel like editing controls films more than almost anything. Like as a Star Wars nerd, I know the story of George Lucas's cut of Star Wars A New Hope in the 70s being unwatchable. Yeah. And his wife re-edited the film. Yeah. And that's the Star Wars we got. And uh, I feel like editing is very powerful. And, you know, Rodriguez, he's famous for being able to edit in his head as he goes because the way he taught himself film. Right. And um, Sonia, you know, we haven't talked about him in a while because he hasn't made anything in a while, but he was the editor also. I just feel like editors can take more complicated stories and weave them together if they started out with an editing background. Yeah. 
Because if you think about it, Flanagan had to edit two books and a movie into a, another movie. Yeah. That's what he was doing. He was editing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, seriously, that's, that's what, exactly he what he was doing on a very simplistic scale. He was fucking editing um, multiple mediums together and um, very enjoyable flick. And this is a director's episode, so it's it's more about the directors than the films. But I think the the thing that we struck home with both of our films was that both of these directors have uh, very distinct styles and skill sets that they can utilize perfectly at this point in their careers. Absolutely. And um, I mean, Flanagan had been doing TV shows. For a little while, which is weird. You don't really hear about people flip-flopping between movies and TV shows. No. But, you know, he did some movies, and then he did some Netflix movies really early on, and he got a lot of his commercial success from, uh, I'm talking about Flanagan at this point, uh, from Netflix. So that's how we got Haunting a Hill House, Haunting a Bly Manor, uh, Midnight Mass, you know, and then somewhere in there, he fucking does Dr. Sleep. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it, it, it's not fucking fascinating to me because diving between TV and, and film is insane. And then uh, Juan's kind of gone through a, a metamorphosis very similar to this because other than his name getting tagged on pro as producer for products that he created the universe for and he might have had no fucking say in the movie, he's made Fast and the Furious and Aquaman yeah. movies and made Malignant. And uh, I feel like that's what really tied these two together right now. I mean, they're two of our favorite modern directors, obviously, but like they both have kind of gone through a metamorphosis doing other things and then just fucking snap right back into it. Absolutely. Right? And uh, I don't think we're going to see very many Stephen King films made by people other than Flanagan, but that is a complete lie because Salem's Lot is being made right now, not by Flanagan because he already made it and it was called Midnight Mass. <laughs> and, <laughs> and Christine's being made right now by, oh my God, I can't think of his name, the Hannibal guy, Bowtie. It'll be on the notes next All episode. Right. But it's the guy that made Hannibal is making Christine. It's supposed to be more like the book. So I guess the room is still out there for anyone to be able to make Stephen King. We shall see. Things. We're not talking about dollar babies here. We're talking about blockbusters. Yep. Million dollar bills, y'all. Millions and millions. Making it rain. I, I was glad that this episode did end up with us doing a Stephen King adaptation because we've been trying to figure out different YouTube content to do because they say YouTube is the gateway to people watching you on other mediums. It's just easy to search YouTube, yeah. right? And we've been trying to come up with some video stuff and something I ran by Josh is me doing slice by slice Stephen King rules because one, I like the Monster Squad quote and two, I've been just hammering through Stephen King <laughs> books that have film adaptations. So that's something I'm thinking about doing. So if you guys are... Uh, interested in that shoot us an email because i i could sit there and spend about 10 to 15 minutes probably to um compare a stephen king novel with a film adaptation i have taken notes in the last three books i read just in <laughs> case so i don't know he's arguably i'm not gonna say arguably he's the most famous horror author there is yeah <laughs> he just is right and uh he writes things very visually for, for films. So we're going to see a lot more great adaptations. He, he can't make a movie to save his life because we've seen the one time he tried, but let's let him be a producer. Uh, if we've covered any other writers or directors or franchises that you guys have liked in the past and you want us to revisit it because there's been remakes, reboots or sequels, send us a message. This was fun. Um, like I said, until we get our schedule sorted the fuck out, this is uh a good idea for us to revisit things that we actually enjoy instead of doing things just because it fits into a system. Yep. yep. And I believe a prediction is in order. We are sitting at five hours and four minutes right we now. We are. Look at us. 
I was going to say three hours and 15 was going to be the final product, but I don't think I can do that. <laughs> I'm going to give it 4.15, though. I think I can cut out at least 50 minutes this, of the time okay. we're done. What the audience has to understand, this includes bathroom breaks, checking on pets, spouses, and getting water. So there's some little leeway there on the cut. <laughs> but my, my guesses are pretty accurate. I would like it to be shorter than 4.15, though, so we'll see. <laughs> We shall. But that's it for the Juan and Flanagan Revisited episode. So you guys are going to have to tune in on the next episode where we go cosmic and cover some Lovecraftian films. Shh. It's talking to me. As usual, guys, thanks for downloading the show and spreading the word. Please do not forget to rate and review us online. And please send us comments, questions, and suggestions to our email, sbiaspodcast at gmail.com. We would also love it if you could follow our Twitter and Instagram, both at sbiaspodcast. See you guys on the next one. Thanks for listening. One of the things that I believe very much about horror cinema in general is that your genre elements are only as strong as your characters. And that's something that I learned reading Stephen King for a lifetime.